The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. You're listening to Very Loose Women. You're listening to Very Loose Women on Resonance 104.4 FM. This week we're going to talk about obsession. First of all, should we start uh, with what is it? What what is obsession? I think obsession is like thinking about something a really inordinate amount, so it's like taking over your life. So do you think it's more frequently a person than say um, oncoming exams? <laughs> well, from my perspective as a psychology graduate, I think <laughs> obsession. Yeah, I, I don't, it could be either. I think you can definitely become obsessed with someone, a person, a celebrity, a pop punk band from the early noughties, um, all those things. I feel obsession is when um, something in your life ceases to be proportionate. Generally, it's something that you, I think, um, build it up yourself. Like it's a very internal thing. Like you've fixated on something, and it's not come from. Um, another person or a family influence. So just before we launch into this topic, uh, we're in Derry right now recording from a van. That sounds creepier than... The Resonance FM van. It's very cold in here. Anyway, obsessive crushes. I want you to name your obsessive crush and what you did um, as a sign of obsession. I've had quite a lot. (laughs) As celebrity-wise, I would say the number one adolescent crush was... um, Someone called David Boreanaz memorably played Angel, um, you know, with real emotional depth um, throughout seven se- seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and and his own spin-off show, and his own Angel. Sh- spin-off show, Angel, which some people claim is better than Buffy, but I think we all know that's completely not true. As well as him, a little bit later on, when I was in some of my later teens, Jonathan Rhys Meyers, um, who lots of people know as being really weirdly cast as Henry VIII where they completely decided to cast against uh, type and pick someone who's very slim and very attractive. So I think you should talk a bit more about Buffy. (laughs) What what have you done as a sign of your dedication to Buffy? When we were at school uh, we had this um, PSE like personal and social education lesson and the premise of that was we were looking at role models and people that you admire And the teacher said that we should write to someone who we really look up to and would really like to meet. I actually thought originally I really want to write to David Boreanaz because not only did I just really fancy him and I love the character Angel, I thought, you know, he's such a tortured soul. But I sort of, you know when you fancy a fictional character, but the person in real life is obviously in no way related to them, but you kind of force yourself to fancy the actor too and you convince yourself that they're also fanciable. So I kind of decided that I thought he was, like, a really good role model because, like, he did, like, a few community things, whatever. But I felt too embarrassed in class to admit that I'd (laughs) written to David Boreanaz. So instead I went for the slightly more conventional choice, but still embarrassing, um, and I wrote to Sarah Michelle Gellar. Were you hoping she'd, like, pass on the message? Well, I'd also read, actually, in an interview with um, David Boreanaz that he likes to read his fan mail and occasionally will phone people up (laughs) 
if you have your phone number in, he'll be like, you know, hi, it's Angel. And they'll, you know, like collapse on the other end of the phone. So I put, I remember putting my parents' landline number in my letter to Sarah Michelle Gellar in the hope that she would ring me and be like, oh, you know, your letter was so interesting. Like, I don't even know what I was talking about. So anyway, I didn't get a response from her except um, her agent sent me a signed picture of her. How do you know it wasn't from her fair hand? Well, I think it was a scanned signature. That is outrageous. I mean, we had a debate in the playground about it (laughs) for quite a while. And I kept it for ages. And then there was like this one day where I just thought, owning this makes me feel really sad. I've got to remove this evidence and never tell anyone about it. But here I am revealing all on the radio. I mean, actually, if we're if we're spilling the beans and making this about some obsessions, I have met several Buffy cast members. <laughs> Which ones? <laughs> it's a very obsessive show. I think people this really got into show. it. And for some reason, they were always coming to Glasgow to do signings at Forbidden Planet. And I was just like, well, Tara, Tara, I, I used to love Tara. You remember. <laughs> She's the worst. She's not the worst. Anyway, I used to love her. So I went. To, I got something signed by her. That's probably in the bin now. So well, why do you that. think so many people get obsessed with things like that? I think with something like Buffy, it has like this fan universe full of fan fiction and obsessive people who, you know, there's comics attached to it. Like, there's loads of stuff. It's like a whole multimedia thing. Yeah, talking uh, of fan fiction, I think yeah. that, that's a really clear sign of obsession. And I looked it up because yeah. I watched all of My So-Called Life last weekend and basically lived lived the series in three days. Uh, looked it up and I actually found a lot of fan My So-Called Life fan fiction, which isn't even another universe. It's just... Real like, life. Real, crudely real. <laughs> <laughs> Brutally real. I suppose it's about having cult status. Like, that's... Yeah. It's, it's when people become... Like, they would prefer to inhabit that world than the real world, so they'll go to conventions and stuff. Um, and I think there's something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It went on for ages, so if you watched it when you were younger, that is, like, a huge part of your life, like, maybe half your life you've been watching it. But also, um, it had, like, a really strong female lead, and it was really different to anything yeah, else Yeah, I was just going to say, I can't think of any other TV show that is similar to Buffy. Well, now there's a lot of vampires around, but at that time there weren't so many vampire teen shows. Yeah. And also, yeah, strong female lead. Um, also, on the topic of fan fiction, a lot of it's very, like... It's like weird. slash fiction, you know, where it's, it's like, yeah. pornographic and weird. Harry Potter sex Harry fiction. Potter, yeah. Mm. And also, recently, I've, I watched this documentary about One Direction, who I'm not obsessed with, by the way. <laughs> I can't even name a song by them. I watched a documentary about, like, Harry Styles and mm. Louis Tomlinson and how all the girls that love the band think that they're in, like, a secret gay relationship together. Oh. And they always talk about this thing. And they call them, as, like, a co- combined thing, they call them Larry Stylinson. So they like, combine their names and they've like made this thing. And they always say they have this phrase where they say, "I ship Larry Stylinson." What, what's that? I ship. I think it means I like their relationship. Oh. Or I worship. I'm not sure. Either worship or relationship, but it's very strange. But I think that's about like they hate the idea of their like boy band member that they love so much being with a girl mm. that they would rather put them in a kind of weird pseudo homoerotic relationship with yeah, their bandmate. There's a very long history of um like in pop, in the pop music and film industry of um teenage girls getting completely obsessed with like very young say boy band members or actors who are like maybe on the cusp of adulthood maybe you Justin get obsessed Bieber. with them because they're not threatening in a sexual way for a teenage girl like why did so many people get really upset i'm sure a couple of people committed suicide after take that split up what? like why yeah it's absolutely like totally shocking but why did so many people like, fall for, you know, boy bands. And it is because it's, like, that clean-cut image. Emma, have you ever fallen for a boy band? 
Um, well, I was actually just about to say that my primary four teacher, Mrs. Heff, came in one day and said that she cried because Take That had broken up. She cried, a oh grown woman. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I thought that was strange. I didn't even like Take That at the time. <laughs> um, have I ever formed for a boy band member? I wouldn't describe Blink-182 as a boy band. <laughs> they are the greatest pop-punk band of um, our generation. Uh, yeah, I was really obsessed with Blink-182, like, really, really obsessed. Like, I wrote them a letter, and I love them, and I listen to their music all the time. And basically, I actually went to see like they didn't tour in the UK at all when I was into them and then they started to like later on when I was over it but um they were touring in America and my dad was going to America um to work for like a couple of months and I have family in Boston so I actually went to America to see Blink-182 in concert I wondered where that was going it sounded like a self-justification uh so I actually went to see Blink-182 in America you've never told me that I know (laughs) I think think you can all guess why I've never told anyone that I mean like I've literally probably none of my friends any none of my university friends know this this is a secret uh no my cousin took me um, that, like, seriously, <laughs> nobody who I've met since I turned 16 knows this, and I don't share this information, so you're I'm welcome. really privileged. Yeah. Before, all our listeners. Before we move on from the uh, celebrity crush, Peanut, Jonathan Rhys-Mayer. This is kind of an example of how long are you obsessed with someone, and, like, why does it start and stop? And I really just like Jonathan Rhys-Mayer because I thought he was really interesting, and, like, he's um, very charismatic. Like, in interviews, he's got a real Hot. personality, and he's, yeah, absolutely beautiful. Uh, which is the number one reason. But um, I actually, finally, when I was... I'd always imagined what I would do if I met him. I was about 20, 21, um, on a flight to Buenos Aires, and I was waiting at baggage uh, reclaim, and I suddenly realised this man who was, like, staggeringly beautiful, like, so, so beautiful, really green eyes, like, gorgeous. I just, like, looked him in the face and was like oh my god that's Jonathan Rhys Mayer's like my dream has come true he's right there I can talk to him you know I can say to him like I've imagined this scenario so many times in my mind as a teenager don't say that to him don't say that (laughs) yeah um and I was just going to be like you know I really like this particularly underappreciated film or like something you know really awful but anyway um I looked at him and I just couldn't do it it kind of it wasn't actually nerves because I didn't get that intimidated by that type of situation it wasn't that I was too scared to talk to him I just really, I didn't want to. You, did you not want to touch the dream? Was it like, it, it's become real and it's no I think it, when it's real, you just realise it's never going to be how you want it to be. It's not cinematic. Someone's waiting for their bag. They look a bit tired. You're a bit tired. And, you know, my friend um, turned up to greet me and was very excited to see me. It would have been awful if I was like, look, hang on a minute. I've not seen you for a year, but look, I want to go and try and chat up this, you know, famous actor over here. And so I left it. But what... Um, I was really surprised at is that after that I just completely stopped like finding him kind of sexually attractive I completely stopped um being obsessed with him I suppose or like really fancying him because even at that point it wasn't like like a real obsession at that time but I did have a real crush on him and that went as soon as I'd seen him in real life Mm. even though he was amazing looking yeah I've been obsessed with a few bands there was a period where I on my year board when I was really into bands that kept me company while I didn't have any friends and so I progressively met them all, so or interacted in some way. So you gave me that CD signed by Camera Obscura. Um, I chatted to Feist at the uh, Rain Dance Film Festival. Beach House actually gave me a hug and bought me a drink. Au revoir, Simone, I saw live in Paris. So I, I just covered all the ground except for The Beatles, which is uh, one of my longest standing sort of been into their music. Do you music. think that could still happen? You could still so the fact the that two of them are dead and one of them's an asshole really stands in my way <laughs> out of four. And actually, 
Paul McCartney lived very close to where I grew up, so I could have stumbled across. And actually, my sister went in a hot air balloon and landed in his field, but no, it didn't meet him. Well, it's good enough. That's a clue to be in there, isn't it? Do you, so do you actively seek out people that you really admire? I see, I didn't do it on purpose. With? I just ended up meeting, and I realised afterwards, that's my tick list. Well, you know, it's much like when I bumped into Harold from Neighbours in Melbourne Airport. <laughs> <laughs> but there aren't there aren't just celebrity crushes. There are also obviously crushes with real people. And oh, just before we move on, the celebrity crush of the show I think would be Richard Ashcroft. Even though I have no idea what We're he looks like. We're all obsessed with Richard Ashcroft. I mean, I just I just think he's really dreamy. Um, in terms of real people obsession, have you done any stalking or? I just anonymous hope, letter like, writing. No members of the police are listening to this show. <laughs> not the band, not the band, the police, which I never stalked. But I just mean personally. I think we've all probably done some quite creepy things. Yeah, I think Possibly, turning up yeah. at convenient times so mm. that you bump into people is a classic. But I mean, you've got to put your best foot forward, haven't you? And if if you think <laughs> is that putting your best if foot you forward? think that someone might like you. And you don't ever... It's just like going to a party and wanting to pull or go to a bar. Like, I think that's the kind of socially acceptable face of trying to find people. But if you know someone's, like, going to an event and you just deliberately do your hair really nicely beforehand or whatever, like, you know, is that weird? But you can take it to extremes, like, you know someone has an appointment at a certain place and you sit there for half an hour waiting for them. Have you done Um, that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of appointment? Like at university, like a lecture or like a tutorial or a seminar. Yeah, I have done that. And you know what? Whenever I did it, it actually worked. Because normally, I think, as long as you've had interaction with the person beforehand, if it's just you've never spoken to them, it is a bit weird. But if you have spoken to them, as soon as they see you, they're going to come and say, oh, hi, how's it going? And then you strike up a chat, which you wouldn't necessarily have otherwise. It never worked for me. I spent about two years sort of stalking someone and (laughs) it resulted in me being incredibly depressed. Well, like my friend Colin always says, isn't going out with someone just an extreme form of stalking? Yeah, kind of. That's true. <laughs> it's an acceptable. For some couples, it yeah. It's a socially acceptable way of stopping someone. Their the whole life becomes sort of interesting as mm. opposed to just them. Any other obsessive behaviours that we exhibit? I think I am an obsessive person. So I got really obsessed about doing really well at school and doing well in exams. And so that, that preoccupied every moment of my mm. time beyond reasonable uh, conception of what it should do. And uh, then it moved on to this uh, person crush. And then it was, I think I've got some sort of house related OCD. So I think that I'm sort of contagious and I think that people who are living in my house are going to die because of it and I think that there are loads of like the mould is going to affect my health and other people's health especially lungs that's my main fear and um, so mould asbestos lead virus, viral infections people sneezing dirt that all, <laughs> all of that I've, I've, I, I worry about it a lot and I get and I think it was um, exacerbated by my contraceptive implant that I've now had taken out and I don't I can't really mm. identify if I've cooled off I think I have a bit but um, that definitely heightened those anxieties and mm. I think that is obsessive compulsive disorder I actually I think health is quite interesting and a lot of people are obsessive about their health I've started being like obsessed with uh, sleep because I've been having quite bad insomnia and that's something that really because you're tired you're more likely your mind stops functioning in a normal way so you can get very stressed and I think that leads to obsessive behaviour so 
I've got really obsessed about changing my sheets because, and ironing my sheets to make my bed as nice as possible in the hope I can sleep. Do you iron the sheets when it's already on the bed? No, over no, the ironing board. But I, I think I should do that. Yeah. I've got two tips for not being able to sleep. The first is lying with your eyes closed is equal to sleeping. And the second is <laughs> every <laughs> every hour you sleep after midnight counts double. So if you sleep from one no. till four, that counts as eight hours. It's that's before. What my... Every hour you sleep before Oh, yeah, midnight. sorry, that's what I meant. Every every okay. hour before that's Sorry, that's exactly what I meant. Okay, yeah. they're, they're both excellent But also, tips. the first one wasn't really, like, neither of those are tips on how to get to sleep. They're just, just trying to reassure you. I, I mean, I, yeah. kind of, I kind of feel like they're both factoids rather than <laughs> facts. They're, mm. they're not facts. <laughs> they're I the have opposite a, of facts. I've got a bit of an obsession in terms of, like, I'm not a clean, like, I'm not disgusting, but I'm not, like, a clean person, you know. In my house at the moment, I'm living with my dad, and, like, I've got really obsessed with, he feeds a fox, like, he puts food <laughs> out for the fox, which is fine, like, that's... The fox like, can look after itself. Yeah, but, like, the cat doesn't eat all her food, so, like, so it needs to go somewhere. That's fine, the fox can have it. But what my dad insists on doing and actually this probably says more about him than me being obsessed he like puts it on a plate for the fox so like he'll bring him this plate that like the foxes have like like slobbered all over and I'm really obsessed with that plate not touching anything but it always touches everything I don't even think it's the same plate every time I don't, I don't actually like to think about it because I get too angry okay so serial killers <laughs> I think we were going to talk about unsavory obsessions which maybe yeah. links on to what we were discussing on about internet but aren't all obsessions unsavory in that you compromise other parts of your life in order to privilege that one can maybe. you have a healthy obsession well someone who's really into train spotting I mean I, I think that's really like quite embarrassing it's a bit geeky but it's not it doesn't harm anyone else it's not like it doesn't you can well, perceive it, it as morally dubious whereas some obsessions people would see as being like intrinsically linked to something in their personality that was a bit gross, you know, being seedy, like seedy obsessions. And there are quite a lot of those, like with fan fiction, Mm. you know, it's like, oh... you like you, you liked Harry Potter as a kid. Now you're an adult. You can't leave it behind, and you're trying to make it raunchy. Like you know, there's something about that that makes me go, "Ugh, that's mm. a bit gross." That's why people don't want to talk about their obsessions. They do it online because of the yeah. an- anonymity attached to it. And actually, I think um, the internet does facilitate all forms of obsession. No, no, especially research-based forms of obsession. Mm. So, like looking up people you're a bit obsessed with, so famous people, and finding out what you can about their life mm. and their upbringing and who they're friends with. Okay, so so for for you, didn't you say you had some kind of serial killer's obsession? I think that everyone does to an extent. Like, a lot of people I know, just especially if, if you're unemployed and you kind of find yourself a bit, like, not sure what to do of an evening, you end up researching serial killers. Like, it just happens. It just... I don't know, maybe it's one of these things, like, that is just a hole you go down when you end up clicking on stuff on, like, Wikipedia. You always end up on the serial killers. I've found, like, I quite often do this late at night just before I'm about to go to sleep, and that is never good. That's a, that's the opposite of a tip, an untip, perhaps, for getting to sleep. Don't read about serial killers before you go to bed. I find um, internet research holes lead me to um, cults. Oh, I always read about cults. Yeah, reading about, about cults. cults, and also... Famous people's relatives. So, for example, Mick Jagger's brother. Tell us about Mick Jagger's <laughs> I, brother. I love a good um, celebrity sibling. Yeah, and finding out what they're doing. So he doesn't want to ride on the back of Mick Jagger's success. Of course not. He was a taxi driver. He was Initially, he was really intellectual when the Rolling Stones were just starting mm. off and he would like read a lot of books and go to India. And then... <laughs> he... <laughs> And then he became a taxi driver, and then he started his own band. And I think that starting mm. your own band—what was a band called? I don't know. Was it like the remember. Rolling Stones, <laughs> Rolling Clones. Cool. The... That was so much oh, better. So much better. What did you say? Rolling, the Rolling Stones. Uh, oh, it was a Rolling... pun. 
Yeah, Rolling Clones is also funny. Yeah, it's a no, it's not. It's an actual tribute band, so it's oh. not, he's not running the tribute band. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's all I know about Mick Jagger's brother. So I think can that's... we do a whole episode on Mick Jagger's brother? No, well now we've done that, but like so, some other sibling, a kind of an unsung hero, if you will. Okay, he's okay. not really a hero. <laughs> he um, might be to some people. He wears Hawaiian shirts. I think you'll find the Rolling Stones. Were, just thinking about success. like. What, we were talking, what you were talking about with serial killers and obsessions with that and the fact that it's maybe some people think it's unsavoury it's because it feels like voyeuristic to like it's like watching a really violent horror film part of you feels bad about it but um, I suppose the fact that people are interested in it is because they're empathetic so like I um, read a lot about the Fritzl case like I just found that fascinating because it's you're essentially trying to understand like how that could happen and why and get inside their mind and when someone seems like so morally like amoral and completely different it it's a in a way a good thing that people are trying to work that out and it comes across as being very realistic but like you should be reading about it and trying to like I think people, empathize yeah. in some in some way with what's happened and find out why that happened or how and I think people like it on the one hand because it almost gives them a kind of moral superiority and they're kind of like, I would never do that, like that, you know, like yeah. this person's a monster and like people enjoy that aspect of it and kind of saying like, you know, I just couldn't even get in, like I couldn't mm. even understand why that would happen. I could never do such a thing. But also like on the other hand, yeah, trying to kind of understand and think how could that happen? Mm. How does it happen so frequently? Isn't there Not an element of, um, you know, when you're looking someone up, yeah, the empathy element, isn't that also you're creating your version of that person? Mm. So it's the same with the obsessive crush as well, mm. that you're not really obsessed with a person, even if, like, they're your friend or something. You're obsessed with your idea of them, which isn't probably yeah. how they're, what they're like in relationships. Yeah. Which is why Jonathan Reese Mayers got <laughs> you saw him? out the door yeah. because you saw him and it just wasn't the same. Yeah, because they exist on a pedestal. And but, the real life person, I think, is, you know, they, they, they're going to say what they're going to say. You're putting words in their mouth, the publicist is, the newspaper's spinning it a certain way. And it's just, it's completely not like that. If you, like any famous people I've met have always just been like totally, like the illusion just goes as soon as you meet them. Apart from Richard Ashcroft, I believe he's going to be exactly as yeah. we imagine. So when, when Richard joins Find us the on the show, um, if you're listening, we'd really like to meet Drop you. Drop us a tweet. <laughs> Thanks for listening. This program was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Visit our website at resonancefm.com to hear our vast range of original 24-7 broadcasts. Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform and relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.